And Northside family, I want to welcome you, especially to our last digital weekend. Next weekend, like you heard Jacob Bale say, we will be here Saturday at 5, Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11.30. Cannot wait to regather next weekend with you. Uh, and I love that you're taking time to be a part of this, especially if this is your first time or you've been away for a while. My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you in on this. And this is in our second week of our series, GOAT, the greatest of all time. And today we're going to be talking about in the book of Hebrews, how the writer says that Jesus is the greatest comforter of all time. He is our greatest comfort that you and I could ever have in our life. And I'll be honest, uh, I, this is what I've discovered. If you live in the Midwest, it's because you love fall. That, that's really almost one of the number one reasons why you live in the Midwest, because did you know there's places that it doesn't snow? Uh, some of us in the Midwest, we don't know that. We think everywhere is like this, but we love the Midwest because we love what's happening right now. This is one of the most beautiful falls I've seen since I've lived here. The leaves are changing. The weather has been unbelievable. I know it's supposed to rain this weekend, but it has just been so beautiful. And the drives that we take and the pumpkin picking that we do and the food that comes along, it just brings my soul comfort. Matter of fact, that's why I love the phrase comfort food. A couple of weeks ago, I had some of our staff over to dinner and their kiddos were over and we were playing and we laid out all of the fall comfort food. The chili was out, the cheese, the crackers. Ruthie put together, uh, I never say this right, so I have some grace, a charcuterie board. I had a charcuterie, I don't know. It's a bunch of meat and cheese and crackers, all right, on a piece of wood. And uh, it is phenomenal. We, we not only had that, we had this pumpkin roll. And, and you know, and you can't just eat pumpkin roll year round, it just tastes better when there's, you know, this crisp air. Then we had this fire going on out there and people were painting pumpkins and we were just having fun and it was the comfort of fall. Now here's the only problem. Fall's over in like five weeks and you have to wait 47 weeks again for fall to come back. You know, this comfort that we have, it's here and then it's just gone. And then the leaves fall off and everything kind of looks dead for a while. And it kind of gets a little bit dreary, especially when it rains late in October, November. All of the comfort, all of the joy, all the feel goods just kind of go away for a little bit. Matter of fact, if we eat too much of the comfort food, especially around Halloween, all this other stuff, it, it actually doesn't do a body good. And uh, here's how we know the word of God is alive and active. Uh, on Proverbs 25, verse 16, this is what it says. It says, if you find honey, eat just enough because too much of it and you will vomit. This is the word of the Lord, all right? You know, God's word, it says this. It's like, hey, hey, find some good stuff. But here's the thing. Even when you find good things and you take comfort in stuff, don't take over comfort in it because you will vomit. It'll make you sick. And what it's pointing to is this. More than taking comfort than anything else in the world, take comfort in God. And this is what the writer is saying in Hebrews chapter three today. He's saying, Jesus is your greatest comfort. Man, enjoy the comforts. Man, enjoy the pumpkin roll. Enjoy the pumpkin pick. Enjoy this weather. Get outside. Have fun. Have friends over. Be together with one another. Enjoy the seasons of life. But more than taking comfort in anything else, take comfort in Christ. And the reason why he wrote this letter in the book of Hebrews is this. The Christians were starting to lose their comforts. Rome was starting to persecute the Christians. They were starting to take away their comforts. And what was happening was this, as their comforts were disappearing, so was their confidence in Christ. 
This is why he writes this. He's going, hey, I know some of your comforts in the world might be disappearing, but remember, Christ is your comfort. And because he's your comfort, he will be your confidence. Don't forget that. Continue to take comfort in Christ, even when the changing of the seasons come about. Because what happens is this, a lot of times we don't realize this, but when our comforts go, so does our confidence. Or maybe I'll say it this, as your comfort goes up, so does your confidence. This is why sometimes it can be dangerous to overtrust when life is just going good and, and then when life goes bad, things go sideways. And really what happens is we begin to understand and see where our confidence actually is. I began to read some of the reports about what's gone on during this pandemic and where people have placed their comfort. Uh, there's been all sorts of surveys, not just in America, but across the world that is revealing where we're putting our comfort during this time. Uh, here's just some stats I came across that were pretty eye-opening. Uh, across the world, what we found is this, alcohol sales have gone up 25% just during the pandemic. People are beginning to take comfort other places. Not only that, what we found is this, domestic abuse has gone up across the globe by 25%. Meaning this, as people are losing their comfort, they're starting to lose their cool. The stress is coming out. Where things they place their hope in are beginning to not deliver. One of the sad stats, and these are things that we're having to deal with and minister to in our community and across the world, is this, that in the Latin, what I read in the stats is this, over 40 states during this pandemic have reported rises in opioid use. Opioids aren't just on the rise in 40 states. What we've also found is this, opioid overdoses have risen by 18% during this pandemic. We have several people in our church family here who, who are dealing with loss and hurt from this in their family and in their friends and in their life. And, and this is a call for us that we need the words of Jesus and we need the book of Hebrew to speak into us to remind us of who is our comfort, to remind us of that so that we can have a life full of confidence even when life is changing. And, and so let me read what the writer says in Hebrews chapter three, because he's going, Jesus is the greatest of all time because he is the greatest comfort of all time. You don't have to go looking. You don't have to go buying. He is available and free to you and he will set your soul free. And so listen what the writer says in Hebrews chapter three, verses one through five. It's gonna be on the screen. I encourage you to have a Bible with you. Be opening, especially next week. If you wanna bring your Bible as we're working through the book of Hebrews, this is gonna help you know and take more comfort in Christ. I invite you to bring that. But listen what it says in verse one. He says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest from whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, God, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. And Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but God is the builder of everything. God is the builder of everything. And so Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But listen to this, but Christ is the faithful, is faithful as a son over God's house. And listen to this part, and we are his house. If we hold on, 
to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Well, these are powerful words right here. Matter of fact, I'm gonna encourage you. This is so much to undertake that I'm gonna ask after the sermon that you would go back and you would read these five verses that during this week, you would go back and just soak on these words over and over again because seven times the writer of Hebrew uses this word house or home. And he's doing that on purpose because he's, this is what we know. Our home is where our comfort is. Right? Our home, man, that's, that's where we relax. Matter of fact, if our home isn't a place of comfort, if there's strife or things are off, we actually don't find comfort anywhere else. And this is why he's saying this word over and over again, house and home, because he's saying, God is your comfort. Jesus is the faithful one. What's happened is they've started drifting back and following the law and the Old Testament and Moses because that's what they've known. A lot of times that's what happens to us. When we get stressed out, man, we start going back to our bad habits. And sometimes it's not even like a drug or an alcohol thing. Sometimes it's just some of our bad habits is just going back to trusting ourselves more than Jesus. Or we begin to trust some relationships more than Christ, which makes us codependent because we go, man, there's that comfort The writer is saying, no, God is the builder of everything and we are his house if we hold to the courage and the comfort that Christ gives us. Then there's something about coming home. I I love, this is what I love about where where my kids are and their age. When I pull into our driveway and I kind of have this long driveway uh, back from the road and what happens is when they're out there playing, all I have to do is pull into the driveway and they just start coming running down the driveway. And I start honking the horn and they're running as fast as their little feet can carry them. And it is just this delightful moment because this is what I know. And I'm home. I'm home. See, home is where you don't have to suck in your gut anymore. Home is where you don't have to wear spanks anymore, right? You don't have to impress anybody. Matter of fact, I found out walking through dealers, they actually make manks. It's for men. I'd never bought any or whatever, but I'm going, man, you know, home is where you don't have to dress up for other people. You don't have to impress anybody else. Home is where you just go. (sighs) I think this is why Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, where he says, come to me. Come home to me, all of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you what? Do you remember what he said? Rest. Rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me. For I'm gentle in spirit, and my burden is light. See, when we come home to Jesus, he doesn't come home to just destroy us. He comes home to take off our shoulders what we're carrying. The Hebrew people are in cities, specifically Rome and other places, and they're starting to lose the comforts and there begins to be this weight around them and they don't know what to do and they're losing their comfort and so they're losing their confidence. And what happens is this writer here is saying this, he's going, no, 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 it's your home. Man, Christ is your home. God is the builder of all things. Christ is over his house. You and I are his house. What good news. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We need to remember this. This is why Jesus is the greatest of all time. It's because our comfort Our comfort is our confidence in Christ. Man, our comfort in life is our confidence in Christ. 
Too many times our confidence is in our performance and when we fail, we don't know what to do with that failure. And this is why he's saying, don't put your confidence in your performance. Put your confidence in Christ and let him comfort you. Trust him. Man, God is building all things. That's why he says, he's not trying to just destroy Moses. He's going, Moses, he was a, a faithful servant in God's house. Jesus is a faithful servant over God's house. He is the son over us. As a homeowner, I have great comfort in being a homeowner. And you know why? Because I have great confidence in my father-in-law. Because he can fix anything. I mean, I really don't have to worry about anything. Something's wrong with my air conditioning. Hey, Tony, can you come take a look? Oh, yeah, be right there. Man, he has all the tools, got all this other stuff, you know, all these things to take care of stuff. Hey, there's this leak, you know, on the faucet. Boom, he's there. Hey, can you take a look at this? I have great comfort because I have confidence in the one who can come and fix my house. See, this is what the writer is saying. Hey, have comfort in today's world, not because life is easy, but because you know who is over your house, who is over your life. God is the builder of everything. That's why they go on to say, hey, the builder is worth more than the house. The builder's worth more than the house. People don't look at a house that you build and go, would you look at that house? Well, I know I built it. Oh, I know. But would you look at that house? The house didn't build itself. You look at the builder and you go, look what you created. Look what you did. This is what the writer's saying this. He goes, I know you're looking around. You go, man, I'm losing my comfort. And I don't have this. I know God is the builder of everything. And Jesus is over his house. And we are his house. This is how Paul puts it. You and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit resides in us. God's presence is in us. When we become followers of Jesus, we become the house of God. He is over us. He is building us. He is transforming us. And this is our comfort. And because of that, this is our confidence. Matter of fact, God had to get the Israelites' attention. In Isaiah chapter 66, because God is the builder of everything, God tells the Israelites this. He's trying to encourage them to go, hey, take comfort of me. Understand who I am. I'm the builder of everything. This is our comfort right now. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 66, verses one through two. He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Can you get that picture for a second? Earth, this big, he's like, yeah, that's my footstool, man. That's my footstool. And heaven, that's just my throne. Where's the house you'll build for me? Where, where's the father-in-law quarters that you'll build for me? Where's the pool house that you'll build? We can't contain him in our house. Where will my resting place be? Hasn't my hands made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. What God was doing in that moment was this. He was reminding the Israelite people, hey, I'm the builder of everything. You can take comfort in me. And when you take comfort in me, your confidence will begin to grow. Your mindset will begin to change. Here's what I've realized about this passage in Hebrews, just taking it personally, is this. When I lack confidence, I have to look at my comfort. You may wanna write that down. That when you're lacking confidence, it's an indicator kind of like a dashboard on a car, 
light comes on. I mean, when you and I are lacking confidence, it's a great reminder to not just go, hey, be more confident. No, it's a great reminder to go, look at your comfort. What is your comfort? Well, what are you hoping suffices? What are you hoping holds you together? What are you hoping satisfies you? See, a lot of times we don't understand what's happening. We, we just start drifting, going different places, trying different things to bring us comfort. I'm telling you, when you and I lack confidence, it's a great moment to re-examine what is our comfort. So it's happening right here in Hebrews. He's writing, go, no, take this in. Matter of fact, Thomas Kempis, a theologian and author in the 1400s, wrote this. I got shared this in our sermon planning. This, this phrase and quote got shared with me. I want to share it with you. I thought this was so good. It says, a good, devout person first arranges inwardly the things to be done outwardly. And who has a fiercer struggle than the person who strives to master himself? This is what I've learned. The hardest person you will ever lead in your life is yourself. The hardest person I'll ever lead in my life is myself. And it always comes back to Christ being our comfort which then becomes our confidence. Inwardly beginning to deal with where we're placing our hope and our courage. Inwardly beginning to allow Jesus to say, no matter what happens in this world, you because of your grace, you because of your cross, you because of everything that you've done are my comfort. And because you're my comfort, because of what you've done for me, because of what you're doing in the world, I have confidence. Some of you going, Nate, I would love some confidence today. I'm not sure how I get there. This is what the passage lays out for us. I hope you write this down. This is how you and I grow in our comfort and we grow in our confidence in Christ. Number one, this is what the passage says is this, for you and I to fix our thoughts on Jesus, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. This is what it says. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, that's how he starts. The apostle and high priest whom we confess. What he's saying in this passage and when we talk about, well, what does that even mean to fix our thoughts on Jesus? You know what it means? This is what it means, that we think more about what God thinks than what we think. That's what it means to fix your thoughts on God. That you think more about what God thinks than what you and I think. (laughs) We're not short of opinion today. The only thing is this, we're short of God's opinion a lot today. We all have our opinions, but do you know God's word? And do you know God's thoughts? This is why the writer says this, fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts on Jesus. More than what you think, what does God think? More than what you think about yourself, what does God think about you? You know what Jesus calls you? Loved. You know who we become in Christ? Children, sons and daughters of God, not based on performance, not based on your finances, not based on what you've done, not based on your resume. Our problem is this, oftentimes we don't take the time to slow down and embrace the comfort of Christ in our heart and our lives. That's why I encourage you, sit with these five verses this week, marinate on them, soak on them, 
Pray on them. This is why we give you sermon questions. This is why we do the daily prayer prompts because what we're trying to do is this. We're trying to help you fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. It'll change everything. Because you know what he says? He says, you and I have a heavenly calling. We have a heavenly purpose to live the ways of Jesus. That's what he says. He says, you guys have a heavenly calling. So fix your thoughts on Jesus. And then he says this, who is the apostle and high priest whom we confess? Here's the difference between an apostle and high priest. The apostle is God before man. The high priest is man before God. And there is no one in all of human history who's been able to do both. There's no one who's represented God before man and there's nobody who's been able to represent the sinfulness and to take away the shame of man before God and Jesus does both. That's who we have. See, our great comfort is God makes us into his family through Christ. He is our apostle, which means it is God to us. It is his grace and because he's our high priest, he is our mercy. Well, there's nothing our heart desires more than to be a part of a family, to have grace, to have mercy, to have shame lifted off. See, this is why we have to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We have to think about what God thinks about more than what we think about. Can you think about that this week? Can you spend some time going, God, help me to think about you. But what we find in this passage is this. Not only does it say we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus, it says this, we have to take Jesus to heart. We have to take Jesus to heart. I love this phrase I heard a number of years ago and I remember when I first heard it in a sermon, I, I, I was like, whoa, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. But this was the quote. It said, the distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches. And I'm like, what ruler are they using, right? You know, how, you know, how are we measuring that? And then this is what the pastor said. Because the distance between your brain and your heart is 18 inches. The distance between heaven and hell is from what you think about to what you take to heart. That's why right after this, what happens is the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Listen to what he does. He quotes Psalm 95 because he's writing to the Jewish people. He's writing to Hebrew people and they're starting to drift back instead of trusting and taking comfort in Christ, that he is their confidence, that he will move them forward. Instead of fixing their thoughts on him, instead of remembering, no, it is Christ who has given me grace. It is Christ who has given me mercy. It is Christ who has brought me into the family of God. Instead of focusing their thoughts on that, what they began to do is this. They began to go back to Moses, to go back to the law, to go back to all these things and he writes this and he quotes Psalm 95 because this is what the Israelite people did in the desert. They didn't take God to heart and they lost their way and they lost their comfort and they lost their confidence. And listen to what he writes in verse 7 through 11. Hebrews chapter 3 it says this, so as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts. Man, if you're hearing God today, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. When the Israelites wandered through the deserts after God delivered them from Egypt for 40 years. He said, where the desert, where the fathers, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation 
And I said, their hearts are always going astray. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and go, man, why, God, why is God mad? You know why God's mad? Because he's a good father going, I have all this in store for you. I have all this comfort for you. I have all this confidence for you. I have all of this life for you to have. And you don't follow me. And they drifted. It says they, their hearts were always going astray and they have not known my ways. Do you hear that connection between the head and the heart? I mean, their hearts are drifting because they forgot their ways. They didn't let this connect. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. We think sometimes God is just mad at the world. What we find in this passage is, is God is disciplining his people, the Israelite nation, because he's going, no, no, no. I made you to be able to take comfort in me so that you can have confidence in your life. Remember Israel, I was the one who led you out of slavery. I was the one who delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh. I was the one who's taking care of all this other stuff. And all you wanna do is drift. I remember as a teenager, sometimes I would come down and I'd open our pantry door in our house. And, and here at the pantry, you know, I have all this stuff in there. They'd have like oatmeal in there and they'd have all this food my mom and dad would have. And, and I don't know if, you, you know, you maybe have been in a household like this, but I remember I would open the pantry and I'd look at all the food and then I'd tell my mom, we ain't got nothing to eat. And here's this pantry full of food. It just wasn't the food I wanted to eat. And because it wasn't the food I wanted to eat, I began to think my parents don't provide anything for me. Yet here was a pantry full of food. See, this is what happened to the Israelite nation in the desert. They were looking for comfort and they missed the comfort that God had for them in the desert. Matter of fact, listen to this. This is in Exodus chapter 16. This is how immature the Israelite people, and this is how immature you and I can be if we're not careful, if we're not fixing our thoughts on Jesus and we're not taking Jesus to heart. Here's what will happen. We will become so spiritually immature that, you know, here's the thing about self-awareness. We are never fully aware of ourselves, so we always lack some self-awareness. And listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 16. This is the Israelite people. The people have been rescued by God. It says in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Do you hear this? There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. We ate all the pumpkin roll we wanted. Do you hear this comfort language? But you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. You know what's sad about this story? Some of us, you know, we don't know all the background in the, in the context of Egypt and Pharaoh. The Israelites were in slavery there. God rescued them. This is the foreshadowing of Christ who has brought us out of our sin, which is representative of Egypt, that God through Christ brought us out. We have no way to save ourselves. And Jesus comes and he delivers us. 
He is, this is why it says he is the greater Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt, but yet Jesus leads us out of sin. And, and you know what they're saying in this moment? This is what they're telling Moses. We would take the comfort of soup for the confines of slavery. Now, none of us would say that, right? None of us would go, hey, who wants to go back to slavery, to imprisonment, to a disastrous life? But man, have you had the salad bar? I mean, oh boy, they got diced up eggs and ham and oh man, ooh, have you had the yeast rolls? Have you had the cinnamon butter in Egypt? Lord almighty. We would never say that. See, this is what happens. It's what happens when sin comes in. Our hearts get hardened. See, when we quit taking Jesus to heart, that's what hardens our heart. When we look around the world and we go, man, why is their heart so hardened? It's because only Jesus can soften their heart. It's only because the grace and the mercy of Jesus is why our hearts are softened. It's the only way that life can change. And see, here's what happens. You heard God say it in this thing. Hey, I'm gonna provide, I mean, I'm gonna rain down bread and every day he brought manna. And then they complain, hey God, you know, can we get some meat up in this place? You know, I'm on keto. Can you, know, can you give me something? So he brings quail and he starts dropping quail and bread and it's, he's providing everything. He's going, no, you can take comfort in me. I'll provide you, you I'll give you confidence in life. You just take comfort in me. He goes, that's what I'm gonna test him on. Will they trust me? Because every time they would go out, he would have enough for them. He would have enough for them. And here's what he's saying. This is what happens when God tests us. And this is what happens when we become a follower of Jesus. We become comfortably uncomfortable. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. It is comfortably uncomfortable because over and over again, we are having to take steps of faith to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you in this. This is uncomfortable. But you're my comfort. And because you're my comfort, Jesus, I have confidence, comfortably uncomfortable. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What? Yeah, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will find it. What Jesus was saying in this moment is this. If you want to find your life, if you want to find your confidence, you will let me be your comfort more than anything. Don't take comfort in yourself and your skill and ability to save you. Acknowledge the gifts that God's given you, but understand God is the builder of all things and Christ is over the house and we are his house and we are his house because Christ is over his house. And he is the one who saves us. He is the one who leads us. And see, here's why the church is so important. Here's why regathering next weekend is so important. Here's why you're tuning in and being a part of this. This is why you being in a life group is so important because this is what the writer says in verse 12. Listen to what he says in chapter three, verse 12. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Man, that's a great word. Make sure none of us have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. That's a great thing. How do we do that? but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence 
that we had at first. The comfort of Christ. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, church, you know know what you need to do right now? Hey, I don't want you to drift. I don't want you to go into being sinful, unbelieving hearts. I don't want the sin's deceitfulness to come in and and to just destroy your life. And you know how you do that? Encourage one another daily. What he's saying is this, build each other up in Jesus. You wanna grow your confidence? You wanna grow in the comfort that Christ has? Build each other up. Did you know, and this, and this happens everywhere, even if you're not a Christian, this happens. When you bless other people, it builds you up, doesn't it? Man, when you begin to invest your life, when you begin to serve other people, you walk away going, yeah, I know I served them and I know I, we, we tried to build them up and lift them up. And Northside, you guys do so well at loving our community and loving our world and loving our neighbor. And we wanna keep growing in that. But here's the thing, this is what we forget. We are blessed when we serve others and we encourage others. And then this is what happens. When we begin to bless others, guess what it does to our heart? It softens it. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, hey, just try not to sin. He doesn't just say that. Yes, we ought to not sin. Yes, we ought to grow and not have an unbelieving hard heart. But here's how. Encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. Man, send some text to some people. When God brings people on your heart and on your mind, begin to encourage them, which is a great test for us. Is anybody else on your heart and mind Beside yourself. It could be that your heart is hardened because the only person on your heart and your mind is yourself. Do you see how this breaks the sinfulness and it leads us back to having a soft heart? Man, we, we break. We break up, we jackhammer the hardening of our heart through encouraging one another with Jesus. Some of you are going, Nate, man, that sounds great. I, I, I don't know how to encourage anybody, man. I, especially with, woo, this Jesus stuff. And I'll send them this link to the sermon. Hey, and maybe that's what you do with somebody. That, that's great. If somebody's kind of come to mind, you know, one thing I want to be careful about is as a church, and some people have said this to me before, like, man, I wish so-and-so was here. They really needed this sermon. And maybe they did. But let's be careful to take in God's words first before we just start emailing and texting other people saying, you should listen to this. Maybe we need to go, no, I, I, God grew me through this and I wanna share that with you. And here's how we encourage one another. Some of you go, Nate, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. No, the, the, the text says this. You know what we need to do? Remind people of this, that God's the builder of everything. If you've got people who have just wrecked their lives, They're stuck in addiction. They have no way out. They are lost. You know know what we need to do? Here's how we can encourage them. Hey, God is the builder of everything. He never asked you to build your life. He just asked you to trust him with your life. You know why? Because that's what the text says, that the God that we worship and call our heavenly father is the builder of everything. Not only that, Jesus is over everything. Let him know that. Jesus is involved in everything. This is good for us to take to heart. No, he is involved. He is the one forming us. He is the one turning us into his image, into God's likeness, redeeming all things. And then remind people of this. We're his house. 
God looks at you and you are made in the image of God, whether you believe in him or not. God looks at everybody in there. See, this is the, this, these are the thoughts of God. God sees the world and you know what he sees? Everybody is made in my image. And everybody, everybody, everybody is on my heart and I want to redeem them all through Jesus. Where is house? Where is house? Man, what comfort. What comfort we have because of Jesus, the greatest of all time. Matter of fact, Paul got a hold of this. Paul, who used to be Saul, who had his heart hardened. And then now because of Jesus, everything changed. And God was the builder of him. And Christ was over him. And he began to understand that he is the house of God and the spirit of God is residing in him. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians. He writes to a church who's trying to find their way home. They're, they're trying to find their way to settle in. They're trying to find their way to peace and grace. And listen what he tells them. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. And he encourages them with how Christ has encouraged him. And this is just what he tells them. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Man, listen to God's words. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Then check this out. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You know what I hear when Paul writes that? I don't hear that he's a perfect man. Matter of fact, the older that Paul gets in all of his letters, you know what he keeps saying? More blatantly and more blunt, the older he gets, the more blunt he gets, the older he gets as he starts saying this, and I am the chief sinner. He knows that about himself. And now I'm the chief sinner. But then you see him say over and over again, but thanks be to God, the God of all comfort the builder of everything. Let me ask you this question. Are you home? Are you home? In your heart, in your thoughts, in your encouragement of other people, in the identity of who we are, we're God's house, Jesus, is the faithful son over his house. And God is building everything. Are you home? And we get to come home here together next weekend and it is gonna be an absolute party. Absolute, no hugs, but an absolute party. Because what, what we're gonna feel next weekend? Home with the people of God. The only reason we feel that way is because there's one who made a way. It's Jesus. 
Right now, we're gonna invite you to take communion. Hopefully you've got something there at your house, some bread and juice. If you don't, don't worry. Use this time to pray. Use this time to reflect on this scripture. But what happens is when we take communion, this is why we do it every week. Matter of fact, we have these individual cups uh, that already have sealed bread and juice in it. Next weekend, when you show up, you'll be able to grab one of those. When you come in from the lobby, you'll grab one of those. We ask you to take it during the communion and the service next weekend and then throw it away. But every time we take this, what we're saying when we take the bread and the juice is, God, I'm home. And Jesus, thank you for bringing me home. Are you home? Do you have the comfort of Jesus who is now your confidence in this world? Let's take communion and be reminded of who has brought us home. Let me pray for us and we'll take that right now. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that for some people who watch this, God, this was just a reminder. You went, yes and amen. He is my home. He is my confidence. And Father, for some of us, you've just built us up today. And so we say, thank you. Thank you for reminding us. But Father, for some of us who are watching this right now, God, in our honest moment, we have just drifted not to hurt you, not even to hurt other people, but may we have just drifted to the comforts, to the comforts of our personality, to the comforts of our desires, for the comforts of where we want the world to be. And unintentionally, we've walked away from your comfort. And so Father, we thank you that in this moment, as we take communion, as we take the bread and the juice, we are reminded once again that you're our home. That Jesus, it is only by your sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection that we have your grace and we're mercy and we're a part of your family. And so Father, today, in hearts that feel lost, in hearts that feel disconnected, in hearts that feel separated, in hearts that feel like there is no comfort, no matter where they are, God, no matter where they're listening right now, God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence and your peace, Jesus. And so we take this communion right now together and we say thank you for bringing us home, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.